The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Well, first of all, I hope you've had a chance to listen to a few of our 2016 Royals draft pick interviews that we've been publishing throughout the last couple of days here on Clubhouse Conversation. It's Davo on your dish. Glad you are along. And it's been a couple of days since we last joined you because, well, I've been busy hunting down Royals draft picks and preparing interviews and doing the interviews and publishing them and have been working, you know, overtime here on Clubhouse Conversations. I hope you've been enjoying the interviews. If you enjoy these dishes, listen to at least one of these things for me, please. <laughs> After all the work I've put into them, you will enjoy every single one of them. We've already spoken with five of the top nine Royals draft picks. Some very, very enlightening, interesting, and entertaining interviews that I hope you will listen to here on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with current Royals every week during the regular season and former Royals every week during the offseason. Now let's get to the game tonight and the bipolar Kansas City Royals that they've become in 2016. Start hot, slump, hot, slump. Now we're borderline, dare I say, getting hot again. The Royals have now won four games in a row. They respond big time on that last road trip. You know how that went, obviously. Starting off with the Ofer before winning two in a row to get out of Chicago with the series win. Now they win their second straight series over Cleveland, which is very important as the Royals, as we predicted here before the season, I thought Cleveland and Kansas City would come down to the wire within two games of each other for first place in this division. And as we are right now here in mid-June, the Royals now one game behind Cleveland with a chance to sweep them and tie them tomorrow night. And I think there's a pretty good chance of doing that too. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But first... Our player of the game tonight in the 3-2 KC victory, and obviously it's Salvador Perez. How about Salvi on a tear lately and could have a career season? In fact, I don't think could have. I think he will fairly easily have a career offensive season. Continues to just career season, period. I mean, behind the plate, throwing at runners at the highest percent he ever has. You know, we already know what he brings to the table as a leader. And offensively, I just think, the ceiling keeps going up for Salvador Perez. I mean, he's probably at his peak here in the next year or two offensively and, and as a whole, probably in his peak years, the next one to three years, you would think, one to four years. Hopefully the Royals can rest him as time goes on and maybe extend that an extra year or so. But Salvador Perez, two for four tonight, had the big home run of the eighth inning that obviously gave the Royals the win, essentially. I mean, three to two, two-run shot, Royals down one. Couple lots in the eighth. Bam. Salvador Perez has two RBIs right there. Also added a double earlier in the game. So two hits, two extra base hits for Salvi tonight. Whit Merrifield, your runner-up player of the game. How about a home run in back-to-back nights from Whit? What is that? Two out of four bats. He had a triple and two home runs after having neither in the major leagues. Decides to go deep again. Off Josh Tomlin, his second at bat tonight. And really, leading out the game, he didn't miss a home run by too much. Maybe 15 more feet away? I mean, just about took him deep there. I mean, he's just smoking the ball, is wit. And, you know, great column by Sam Mellinger in the Kansas City Star this morning, if you had a chance to read that. If not, it's KansasCity.com. I highly recommend the read as it talks about, you know, him as a 27-year-old and comparing, you know, comparing him to past guys at that age who are rookies and there aren't a lot of sustained success stories from guys that are 27-year-old rookies, but hopefully Witt can kind of change that because I, I've contested here the last year and a half he's been ready since he was about 25. We talked to him a couple of years ago. You can go back and find that, hear him talking when he was with 
Omaha at clubhouseconversation.com. If you click on current Royals and go back three or four pages, maybe five pages by now, you will find an old interview with Witt. He's been ready. He's been a winner his whole career. And, you know, I keep, and, and the article compares it as well. And it's a good comparison. I keep thinking of the name Mike Avilas, but I think he has more upside. Did you hear Ben Zobrist all the time? I don't think he's the next Ben Zobrist. I think he's somewhere in the middle of those two, though. And certainly, hopefully, a guy the Royals can run out there affordably and get great production all through his clock. You know, the Royals control him for six years, believe it or not. I mean, by then he'll be 33. I mean, Royals get him during all of his peak years, probably entering his peak right now. So hopefully Whit Merrifield can keep it going. But certainly one thing's for sure, he continues and to deserve the chance to be out there every day, which the Royals are doing. Now Omar Infante, we haven't seen him in God knows how long. Witness protection since that Thursday night game in Cleveland. That's the last time we saw him, the first game of the road trip. So without a doubt, Omar Infante's days are numbered here in Kansas City. Wouldn't shock me if an injury magically pops up at some point to keep him around on the roster until the rosters expand in September. The Royals certainly won't have him on the roster next year, even though they'll have to eat his salary. And possibly he won't be here much longer at all. It's possible he could get DFA'd at any moment. But I still think he'll probably find a way to squeak out a while longer on this organization and on this roster. Now, one other thing about Witt that I wanted to mention, I think it was the eighth inning, the defense he made way to his right. That have been sitting out there, looked like seven or eight steps to his right at least, maybe ten. Gets the ball and nearly throws out the runner at first base for Cleveland, which was Jose Ramirez. Or was it Chisholm Hall? It was Ramirez or Chisholm Hall? It was a lefty. Somebody that ran well. But e- either way, what a play that was. Sitting out there, I was like, man, I mean, we haven't had a second baseman with that kind of range for quite a while. So while the play wasn't made because of the speed of the runner, and while all the focus is on Witt's offense right now, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that play defensively. And, and Witt, just, just nice, you know, plus arm, I would say, slightly above average arm, definitely above average range, and definitely an above average defensive second baseman. And in the outfield, his arm probably plays a little below average to average, but you know he is what he is, and so does Ben Zobras. Ben Zobras is not a good defensive outfielder, just like he's not near as good as Witt defensively. So while Ben has more power, Ben is a way more accomplished major league player and is a switch hitter. I think Witt has a lot of the same intangibles. It's a decent comparison, and I do think both of them do certain things better than the other, but they're both damn good baseball players, and I'm so happy to have Witt. Now, the Royals, six Ks and no walks tonight. That's not ideal, obviously, but I mean, I guess at least it was only six Ks, right? You know, it's not horrible. Not good with, with no walks. If you walk four times, I'm okay with it, but whatever. Royals did swing in a lot of bad balls. Your usual corporates there. We're not going to name anybody by name tonight, but you know, a lot of weak contact because you're springing out of the zone and getting yourself out. There were several Royals who just got themselves out tonight. And for the second straight night, what a horrible uh, home plate umpire as far as the strike zone goes. Right? And it's like, and granted, for the most part, it went both ways tonight. Their balls off the plate were being called strikes all night long, but I definitely thought Cleveland was a slight benefactor two nights in a row of the home plate umpires in this series. But, you know, the Royals found a way to get through it and win, as good teams do. Now, let's not ignore the job that the pitching did tonight. It's one of those nights where you win 3-2 to two and you weren't impressed by the pitching, right? It's one of those rare nights where you seriously hold an American League team to two runs and you don't really even think the pitching was that good. And that's no knock against Cleveland. You know, it's a fine league average offense. It obviously is not the same without Michael Brantley in there. But, I mean, Chris Young, what would you think of him tonight? Does he earn another start? I don't know. It's a coin flip. Four and a third, two runs on five hits, four Ks, and four walks, but really wobbled. I mean, starting with that four-pitch walk, 
in the first inning with one out after the strikeout of Carlos Santana to start the game. It just, you know, the home run ball, of course, bit him, and there a couple near ones, although it was hot and humid out there the ball was carrying tonight. But with that said, Chris could have easily gone five innings, one run, with the misplay of the pop-up in the fifth inning. That was Rajai Davis hits the pop-up between Salvi and Chesler, eerily similar to the one that nearly ended Salvador Perez's season. And obviously it was in both of their heads. Salvi peeled off right away. Cuthbert did call it and then kind of just like thought, oh, crap, and then stopped and looked at Salvi. And then Salvi looked at him and the ball just dropped. Luckily, you know, bounced fair, but bounced, you know, after after it hit and bounced, it rolled, you know, you know, cued off foul. So it was a foul ball. But ends up being a walk. Davis steals second. Young walks Santana. That ends the night for him. Dylan G comes in, gives up a hit to Jason Kipnis to allow the first of two, or one of two, inherited runners to score. The second one did not. So nice job by Dylan G getting out of it. And then it goes three innings total, three hits, and one walk. No runs allowed for Dylan G. Nice job by him. And, I, you know, 3-9-6 ERA. I thought he's been pretty good all year for the Royals. I was shocked when they sent him down. And, again, it was only, I guess, for the 10 days. But, again, though, it, as we talked about Chris Young's last start, if you're going to have a guy out there who's capped at 75 pitches and you're saying he's not built back up, when Dylan G is pitching reasonably well, why would you not send Young out on a rehab assignment and keep G up here in the rotation right when he hit his pitch quota? He was, I think, 100 pitches a couple starts of his last three. So was just kind of surprised by that, but he's already back, threw the ball pretty well again tonight, and I don't think there's much of a doubt right now that Dylan G gives you a better chance to a, get deeper in a game every five days, but B, probably a better chance to win right now. And that's not to say Chris Young doesn't have valuable, you know, value, because he does. He could certainly at some point be back in the rotation. And if not, especially with Danny Duffy no longer in the pen, you know, we need a reliable long guy out there in the Royals bullpen. You know, a true guy that can go three, four innings. A guy that can, you know, in extra innings or clean things up in a pinch, maybe go an inning or two for you if you need him to, and a bullpen's worn down. A lot of value there, and he signed through next year. So I, I'm not giving up on Chris Young by any stretch. I think he's still a very valuable commodity, and I think he'll get better. And I thought he was better tonight. But at this point, if you're asking me who gives you a better chance to win five days from now, is there really much of a doubt it's Dylan G? Will the Royals make that move? It's a coin flip. I don't know. I mean, I'm not strong that they need to make the move. If they don't, I'm not going to be upset. You know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a slam dunk move or anything. But I do think it should probably be made, and it wouldn't shock me if it is made with. Those two flip-flopping their roles. Now, give Joaquin Soria some credit as well. Continues to be very good for the Royals the last five weeks. He bails out Dylan G then. So G kind of mostly bails Young out by only allowing one of the inherited runners to score. And Soria lets zero of the inherited runners score. Gets out of a two-on-one-out situation in the eighth. And Soria goes an inning and two-thirds scoreless. One hit, one walk, and two Ks. And don't look now. Soria's ERA down to 3-2-3. Gets the... Win, which means nothing for a relief pitcher and not that much for a starter for that matter. But three and two now for Soria if you're into that kind of stuff with his 3 2 3 ERA. Nice job by the Royals responding the last two games and over the last four. They continue to play well in the American League Central, which obviously is very important if you're going to win the division. So looking at the finale tomorrow, it's Corey Kluber and Ian Kennedy. Kluber 6 and 6 with a 3 6 5, and Kennedy on the season is 4 and 5 with a 4 6. Kennedy has been getting lit up over the last month-ish. We'll start with Kluber. He comes off a complete game against the Angels with two runs allowed, eight Ks, and one walk. Just dominated a lackluster Angels lineup on Friday night. I actually watched the last half of that game on the good old extra innings package, and you know Kluber looks pretty good. The Royals 
Saw him two starts ago, and he looked good. Six shutout innings against the Royals that day with six Ks and two hits against KC. And, and not much career success, which is not shocking, considering the Royals saw him so much, especially during his Cy Young season and the year before and after that. But the Royals, 192 for Kane against him, 219 for Dyson, 190 for Escobar, 262 for Hosmer, 150 Kendrys, 160 Salvi. Like the entire lineup, I mean, Witt is one for three against them. I don't really count that small sample size. But other than that, I just named you... One, two, three, four, five, six of the nine Royal starters, and four of the six are under 200, five of the six under 220. So not a lot of individual success historically against Kluber. But what does that mean? It just means the Royals are due, right? You can look at it one of two ways. They're screwed or they're due. We're going to take the due because they're hot again now. This is a bipolar team. They're back to winning again. I expect about another three of four in a row, about three of the next four, or you know, seven of the next eight, they'll probably win before losing nine in a row and then losing, you know, I don't know. It's just that's what it seems like they are right now. Hopefully that's not what they are and they can continue to display solid 550 to 600 ball from here on out. We'll see what happens though. Ian Kennedy like I said has been really roughed up. His last 7 games, 1 and 3 with a 5-1-8 for Kennedy whose ERA is now north of 4 for the season. About a month ago he's sitting at 303. But you know, I don't know four home runs his last start against the Sox, 5 and 2-thirds innings, 7 earned runs. 1K, one walk. He will look to forget that start and forget his last one against Cleveland, too, back on June 4th. Six innings, five runs against Cleveland that day, and not a lot of extensive backgrounds between Kennedy and Cleveland. There's a couple guys that have seen him a bit from his National League days and brief times coming up in the American League but with the Yankees, but not a lot there to talk about. So there you go. It's Royals and it's Indians. It's Kluber and Kennedy. I do like the Royals to get it done tomorrow. Kluber is, at this point, I don't consider him a premier starting pitcher. I think he is a very good starting pitcher. I think Corey Kluber is a very good number two starting pitcher. At this point, I would not call him a number one. So I think I think Cleveland's got probably two starters in the roster that you could argue are better and very underrated. And if they make a move at some point and add another decent starter, like what if they plug in Rich Hill when he gets healthy and you know ultimately gets traded? That'd be kind of scary for the Royals to have to deal with that, wouldn't it? I'm not saying they'll do that. I don't know that Cleveland really will. They're not drawn jack attendance-wise. I don't know what, what the payroll. I don't, I don't cover that team, so I don't know enough about them. But just thinking out loud here. Anyway, let's get it done. We'll talk to you again soon on Clubhouse Conversation. Again, hope you can check out some of the draft interviews. And go Royals!